right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Last Man Standing, the unofficial podcast of the CBS All Access series, The Stand. I'm Nick. I'm Matt. And I'm Corey. And we are the broadcasters. And today we're going to review episode three titled Blank Page, which we get and we get that title from uh, Mother Abigail speaking to Nick later on in this uh, in this episode. Uh, Matt, uh, you have a brief synopsis for this episode. What happened here? Okay, here we go. Nadine has some issues and is potentially the queen of the Dark Lord. Nick mm. speaks, Glenn smokes, and a dude arrives half crucified, bearing a message from the Dark Man himself. Also, we have Kojak. M O O N, that spells the recap. Yeah, <laughs> Kojak was a shining moment in this. Uh, anytime you see a happy dog running at like Stu, who's also a happy human being, joy. Um, I am really worried, by the way. I'm just going to say this now. I didn't see Kojak in Boulder. There's a there's a fear that I have right now. If that's the terror that this show is trying to introduce, it's it's working. Don't you put that on Kojak? Don't don't you do dare it. put that on Kojak. Uh, the quick reaction to the episode, Corey. What did you think? Uh, it, it, getting better. Uh, I think this has been the best of the lot so far, and I was worried. I read a Collider hmm. article early that reviewed the first four and said that two was the best. I think I mentioned yeah. last week that if that was the pinnacle, that we were. Bumped. <laughs> But no, I think that this is objectively a better episode, better characterization, less time jumps, more time in the past. Uh, I actually get a feel for some of these characters. I get some sweet mm. moments. Uh, like you said, I, I get Kojak. Uh, I get some small details. Overall, uh, this has me feeling more optimistic by a fairly wide margin. Yeah, not excited. Like, I'm not, no. <laughs> I'm not excited, but I'm optimistic. It'll get better. Matt, what'd you think? I totally agree with Corey. I'm... This show, I don't think, could ever be great. The way they chose to tell the story, it'll never reach greatness. But, like, I thought it could get to goodness after watching this. We could get to good. It went from bad. <laughs> Maybe we can get to good by the time this show's over. That's yeah. my overall take for this one. That's fair. Yeah, look, I, as the non-book reader of the group, I'm still confused, but I'm less confused. So that's successful. Like, like I don't feel as if I'm walking through... Uh, like the fog here, not not really understanding anything. So look, it got better, but you're definitely right, Corey. Like we had to just readjust our expectations. Oh. This is not going to be this like grand show. No, I think I think expectations are a big part of this, right? Like, right. I, I really tried to lower mine. I was excited for the episode. Don't get me wrong, because I was excited to do to do this episode. And so there was that element to it, but I. Again, I think we know what we're coming into as far as like the hard disjointed shifts. And we'll talk about some of them very specifically because they're not all forgivable. But right. again, it, it telegraphed. It, it told me who it was um, even after the fumbled opening. Yeah, I think it's it's it 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 worked. This episode, I guess, just worked. Matt, do you have anything else to add to that? No, it's just like, look, the, the time jumps, the POV jumps, they're never really going to flow and make sense. They've kind of established that for the first yeah. three. But like, like you said, you've adjusted expectations. I kind of know how they're trying to tell the story, so which makes it a little bit easier to follow. Right, and I, I think now let's let's just jump into uh, the characters this week. So, and then Matt, you mentioned this last episode, or you know, we talked about how the show can't do character POVs introductions all the way to the end, right? So, I'm assuming we're going to get one more episode of like. Here's a few more characters. But this episode focused mostly on Nadine and Nick, even though Glenn was my favorite character. Uh, but let's talk about Nadine first. Okay, so uh, can I, can I kind of just jump with this? Because I, again, having not read the book, there are some things that uh, I, I really want to have some questions about. Um, are you guys cool with that? Go yeah. for it. Okay, so 
this this to me this opening scene and i don't know if i don't know if this was the direction they're going for i think it was was establish this as horror in that it's really unsettling knowing that flag has been like grooming nadine since she was like a teenager in an orphanage that to me is like the weird horror of the show and that's kind of like kingish and it's like horror i it freaked me out. It really kind of like made me un. it made me feel uneasy. Not in the beginning. Like I thought he was just kind of like talking to her, but then at the end when it's like that weird sexual moment, freaked me out, freaked me out. Yeah. And I think you're supposed to think that right away. It's Nadine, you will be my queen. Like this isn't very subtle stuff. Like he's picking like a, a bride, like, and again, right. she's with what? 10 in that, in that. I don't get uh, yeah. a young girl. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, she's she's in college, so it actually plays a little bit better. Um, I mean, like I guess if you're going to be promised to a dark lord, like I guess oh, shit. to a 21 year old is a lot better than happening to a 10 year old. Right? But yeah, no, it's it's super creepy. Uh, Ouija boards. This was a planchette, same kind of deal. I guess ever since the Exorcist, they scare the hell out of me. So yeah, I thought the scene definitely played as hard. It, it works as a horror scene. I do wonder about the choice to make it a 10 year old, right? Because like Matt said, in the in the book, uh, we're confronted with Nadine as a college student who now Big has difference. yeah a giant difference right and especially Big when difference when you juxtapose it with the end of the episode right like that's the thing that where it really starts to get me where we're making yeah. her a teenager makes this whole thing way less creepy because again like the the sexual overtones at the end are because nadine's a virgin flag has specifically told oh. her that she has to save herself for him and and again you're not going to communicate that with <laughs> a 10 year old or if you do then now we're starting to get into some real creepy territory right like i'm not happy so so again, yeah i don't get it so making that choice you you now dr like remove that element from the show which again it becomes a a, a cornerstone for the character in the book hmm. um so I, I don't understand that change personally. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's weird. Even in the book, it goes slightly further back than that. Like Nadine has a, she has a, so this one moment when she's 16 where like she's with a guy and something could potentially happen and she kind of feels a vibe and the moment passes. And that's a lot of Nadine is, she doesn't necessarily like, it's not like Flag is telling her like, you must save yourself. It's more of just like, like the moments pass and it could be some type of supernatural guidance hmm. um, or it could be something else. Now there is one quick quote I'll pull from the book and this is kind of the general vibe that Nadine has. Someone wants me. There's that. Someone wants me. It's true, but it's so cold. That's what she feels basically. Hmm. And, she, and she used this term unbroken vessel that somebody wants me as an unbroken vessel. I think it's like the, the, the exact, cause I remember thinking like how, what a weird term to use right but like I, I mean what else is it talking about other than her virginity they make sure that I, and again there's a uh a direct conversation with flag where it comes up right mm -hmm. um so again if it comes up in the show i don't want to drop that right now and have it be like spoiler city or anything like that i think that's like another thing to consider here too so again just some odd choices that that don't uh that don't let the story stack up yeah okay so the the virginity stuff i didn't get but I did get like the look, she's she's wearing white in that dream sequence, like the like, heavy, like bride of like Satan vibes. Right. Like she's he wants to be with her and he's kind of influencing her to to not I get to guess to not be with anyone else. Or he's just um, he's being like he's being seductive, but not allowing her to do anything either. Like I, I am curious, have have they been in contact 
Well, no, because the book's different. I was okay. I was going to say, have they been in contact since she was like ten? But apparently, she was in college. That's so no. That's and weird. In ten, in ten, she literally gets, or in the, at the end of that scene, she gets his stone. Like that is yeah, not yes. That is okay, not yeah. Did weird. she have it? No, she had it in like the last episode. I remember the first because the first time we see her in Boulder, she has one. Oh, because she. I mean, I'm saying she has it as a ten year old. Oh, that yeah. Stone okay. appears around her neck when when they're right, playing that, right, right. That yeah. scene. Okay. Yeah. yeah. She's so a kid. yeah, it's it's again different from the book. The book, it's more of a vibe. In the show, it's overt, and and, and from a way younger age, a disturbing age. Right. And look, and it's, yeah, this, this isn't this isn't our slavish devotion to the book either, right? Like this isn't no, saying that it needs to be no. a direct translation, but like the story has to make sense. If you're gonna change <laughs> things, do it with purpose. Because it seems like again, a lot of the change in this are super arbitrary. Um, why did we change Hemingford home from Nebraska to Colorado? We kept the corn but moved because again, very famous corn state, Colorado. What the fuck? So, well, they do move from Hemingford home to, to Colorado. Eventually, like it does end up in Boulder, but I don't know why they change in the name. Why change, it's right? Like it's, it's, it's so arbitrary. So again, like if you're going to do stuff, do them with purpose. Like that's my only request. So hold on. if we didn't do the, the corn scene, then would it just be like them on top of a mountain and Mother Abigail's just skiing down with them in Colorado? <laughs> I just assume the Colorado images. Coming weird. through a weed field. I don't care, right? Like, at least make it situationally and locationally right. dependent, right? Like, I'm fine with Colorado. It's Glenn beautiful. would be loving it. Right, yeah. Glenn, yeah. Be Glenn would want to go to that place, that's yeah. for sure. His ass would have booked from Maine all the way out there already. He'd have been there with Kojak, all right? Oh, incredible. Uh, yeah, so other st- any other stuff here with Nadine? I have a few more things, but I want to push it to you guys. I guess a quick change from the book um, that, that kind of shows up in the show. Like, again, she's supposed to be, like, ethereally, absolutely stunningly beautiful. Amber Heard's pretty beautiful, um, so no problem there. In the book, she does have this one unique character, though, where her hair is, like, jet black. And every time she has one of these encounters with Flag, again, they're, they're subtle, she'll get this white streak flowing through her hair. And um, hmm. kind of like Rogue from the X-Men, if you right. it that way. And it, it gets larger and larger as it kind of goes along, as she has these experiences. It's just kind of like a neat, stunning, like, like image that that uh, that she has in the book. I thought it was pretty cool. Not that they need it in the show, but I thought it was pretty neat. Well, it's interesting that yeah, okay. Um, they, I don't think they really kind of dig too far into the fact. Oh no, no, because I think Teddy even makes that remark too. Okay, that's fine. Um, all right, a, a real quick question I have too. Uh, can she not see flag in her dreams? Like, can the other characters have, like, like when we talk about Nick later, he's directly speaking to him. Harry, ha- I mean, Harold has seen him. Larry has seen him. C- can she not see? Can she not see him here at all? Because she only kind of acknowledges him, like her eyes are closed the whole time, and she acknowledges his presence when he touches her. But I didn't get any of that. Um, I guess I could talk a little bit about the the, the dream stuff with Flag. So. In the book, like you, you never really see Flag's face. Like a lot of the characters are either terrified to look at his face, like so terrified, like they look at his feet, they do everything they can to avoid looking at him. And then sometimes, like they'll they'll get like a vibe of like his face is like this black hole of darkness, and they can see like like bright red eyes. But it's more of like I don't know, like Dementor type stuff. You never actually see his face. Some character, like when Lloyd, um, um, like in the prison cell, like. Uh, from the last episode, is just like staring at Flag's feet. In the book, he's so terrified to look hmm. up. So Flag gives him like one of those like "look at me," and then like very begrudging, like with all of his strength it takes to look at this guy's face. It's terrifying. I don't think most of the characters ever really see his face, at least up up until this point with the dream sequences. It's more of like this dark void. Interesting. 
yeah, if you watch The Outsiders on uh, on HBO, right, like the way that they they first show the creature's face, or the way that it's described in the Outsider, or not the uh, the uh, the Outsider book, right? Like, I think you gotta get that like uh, formless void space <laughs> out of it. So it, great like, point. So think that. Um, but again, it's it they do a bad job of of showing me the terror. Um, I, the Nick scene was probably the most successful of the dream sequences, and I know we'll dive that into that in a little right, bit right. when we when we had him. But no, for sure. Um, yeah, it didn't. Again, it, this one was also different too because uh, the dream sequence comes up like as she's messing with the planchette. Um, mm. The other dream sequences that we get are presumably I uh, kind of out of time a little bit. Like it doesn't feel like Nick's vision comes exactly when we see it necessarily, or Stu's vision came exactly when we saw it uh, in in the past episode. So um, that's the other part of me where it's just like this this thing was completely lost in the editing suite, man. Um, that's actually a really good point. I didn't even she she is actively searching to speak for him speak with him not like encountering him in a dream that's actually a good point i didn't pick up on that yeah and you could feel that pull from early, from the last episode hmm. when she sees that planchette board up on the like obviously that would terrify her every time she saw that from like a 10 year old but like yeah she actively sees it and then seeks it out in this episode right just one other thing with the dreams too um like everybody's having pretty much flag dreams as well as mother abigail scenes it's like both and we'll see like later on with nick where it's generally like flag will kind of like try to recruit you. And if you say no, those they're not recruiting dreams anymore. He's there to terrify you. And like, there's some pretty scary stuff in the book of how he tries to terrify them. And one notable thing about, Ab- or about, um, about Nadine, she never dreams of mother Abigail. She mentioned that a little bit with Franny in the last episode when they're walking, she's one oh. of the few characters that never gets an Abigail dream. Okay. I, I actually did not pick up on that. Okay. So, uh, other qu- quick stuff with Nadine. Uh, I guess the, the, the Joe stuff with her too. Um, Joe, <laughs> Joe. It's very important that we have a representative from the Electric City. Uh, okay, so Joe, how does Larry not see Joe coming? I'm sorry. There, the, his his like the, the moment where we we hard cut from Nadine peek, peeking under the bed at Joe, who's hiding under it. To Joe screaming with a butcher's knife, chasing down Larry in the middle of an, a of a just a desolate street. How does Larry not see any of that coming? It got a blind, you know. He's got a hunter's blind. He just like oh, pops up like a trapdoor spider and just ha- hammers him with this knife. I have no idea. How's that no dude idea. not dead? He's a rock star. He is. He is like ear damaged. He's hearing damage from like massive, <laughs> you know, amps behind him. Like he just can't hear. Like that. It's I guess that's eyes. what we have to go just, with. Like, does he? St- if he still had the, why we look back? If he still <laughs> has the duffel bag full of coke, all right, that could <laughs> go a, a long way in explaining, right? Him, him not paying a whole lot of attention. Or yeah, if 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 Rita was an actual hallucination in the last episode, he could just assume that's not real. That kid running with the knife, that's fake. We'll just we'll get to that later. Yeah. So uh, what, what on the realness is it like Heather Graham in all white, or is it a young child dressed in like a red onesie running at you with a butcher's knife? I don't know what seems fake. I yeah, maybe that is crazier to believe that that could be a real thing. The way they yada yadded that suicide scene to me is like why did you include nadine uh not nadine um, rita rita in the first place yeah i don't know again she's in the book she's a part of it like we've talked about her narrative significance in the last episode right but then again like you included this element 
had Larry bring it up in such a way that it was just, again, no emotional consequence. And then immediately now Nadine does the same thing that Rita does and immediately attaches herself to Larry. Within five minutes, we get the like, I'm comfortable and we are going to follow you across the country, stranger with cocaine. I, I guess I go from like the book a tiny bit where like in the book, Nadine and Joe are kind of stalking, not not in a, in a weird way, but just, just kind of following along Larry, but staying out of view because they're, they're kind of like seeing, is this a guy worth following? Like, is this one of these crazy, insane murderers or is this a decent guy? So they do kind of slowly stalk him throughout the book and Larry kind of feels their presence. And again, he doesn't want to scare them like potential friends off. So he's like kind of letting them like pick their moment. Yeah. And, look, and again, they steal that. They steal that for the stew scene. Right? Like, they stole that exact moment. Which isn't from the book. And translated it in there. Oh. But again, it gives us a little bit of development as far as this story goes, right? If we get to have that between these two. I I get You don't want to use the same moment twice, but, like, you also... There's other ways to do it, right? It just... That puts a bad taste in my mouth. So, Stu doesn't meet with with Harold and, and Fran like that. Well, no. Stu does meet with them, but in the book, it's Nadine and Joe. Like, you know beautiful Nadine and, and little Joe who are like kind of like following uh, Larry in the TV show. It's like fully decked out, like tons of guns stew like following them. It's totally different. And he does right. meet them, but it's like, why, why would they make that choice? I don't know. It was, it was a strange like reason hmm. to, to, to flip them of like how they meet. And he meets uh, and Stu meets uh, Glenn first. Right. He meets Glenn yes. first before he meets Harold and, and Franny. So again, it's kind of like uh, I will like to see the way that they like transition the narrative, right? And like move things forward. But if it was just so Greg Kinnear could show us a pregnant Fran painting, I will be furious. So I of course expect that to happen a hundred percent. That's definitely it. A hundred percent. That's it. Yep. It's, it is what was important with that scene too, with, with Nadine and Joe showing up is that Nadine of course introduces herself as Nadine cross because every character in this show must introduce themselves. First name, last name, no matter what, no matter, no matter any scene in this, it's just, Hey, I'm, I'm so I am uh Stu Redfield. Oh, I'm Franny Goldsmith. Like it's every time everyone, and it, it's the end of the world. Who's using last names? I'm Nick, man. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> Just say the first name. That, that's a Stephen King though. Like Stephen King. No, it drives like, me crazy. Like a whole have entire chapters where a whole like like tell you like, hi, I'm like Joe Thomas from wherever. My mom worked at the factory, and my dad was this, and then that guy is dead four <laughs> sentences later. And I'm like, why did I waste my time trying to remember this guy's name and his backstory? If you're literally gonna kill him before I get to the end of the page, it's all the time in Stephen King stuff. So I guess like having your main characters introduce their first last name, I'm kind of okay with after literally going through hundreds of names and 90% of them just drop dead two pages later. Yeah, it's, it just, it, look, it just annoys me. And this is me being a rag. I, I understand this. It just, I cannot, I, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to get next episode. We're going to get new characters and they're absolutely going to introduce their first and last names. No. And I'm going to hear from three new characters. That I'm might crazy. not be true. There might be a guy whose literal name is just, just trash can. His last name is man. I mean, that's a lot easier. If your name is trash can man, like that's easier. At least he just, he's going with the new world. He's picking his new stuff. Trash can. Man. I think it'll depend on how he says trash can. Is it trash can or trash can? Because if he tries to separate the two, I'm going to get really mad again because this is the way I am. Trash can. Uh, trash can man. <laughs> the last thing I have here is I'm trying to understand Joe's purpose in this story. Okay. And I might be overthinking this entire thing. I can't tell if it's like Joe then is going to be the one who saves Nadine or is he's going to be the one that saves. Uh, 
The, I don't, what do they call him, Boulder again? Like the Free Society? Do they have, does it have a name? Boulder Free Zone. Boulder Free, Boulder Free Zone. Zone. Is he going to be the one who saves the people in Boulder Free Zone from Nadine? I don't know how they're – and maybe I'm, I'm totally off on either, but I, I'm really curious to see if, if, if he's going to bring her humanity back, if, he, if he's going to ground her. But I don't even know if you guys want to say anything because it might ruin it. So I mean, that's, that's to me the whole point of Joe as a character, right, is to provide this moral – balance right for, for nadine's character for us to figure out like okay. who is she gonna be um right. speaking to matt matt's point earlier about like the dreams and everything right like y- you get one and and it, it looks like in this show they're asking you to pick a side right it's it's less hey hmm. um i got this one or the other and it is more uh, now like hey i i i have to pick who i'm going to follow who's going to be my savior Right. Hmm. So I appreciate that choice. And the thing that really kills me about Nadine is like, again, if we take that away from Joe, we lose any of that. We had a great Hmm. opportunity to write in how Joe and Nadine meet as opposed to just using, um, you know, uh, Larry as a foil, right, as as this ability to to, to present the scene. Right. I could have seen that. You could have written that in. I could have had that. It's okay to change things. Don't be slavishly devoted to the book. Um, right, just build me an interesting character who's challenged, and that's fine. But instead, um, we have no female characters because somebody said "fuck that." Yeah, which is terrible. But and I do want to quick go back to what Corey was saying just a second ago about like feeling that that pull of of, of Mother Abigail or flag. Quick quote from the book. This is about Nadine. She was meant for him, but he terrified her. Then Joe had come, and after him, Larry. Things had become terribly complicated. Then she began to feel like a prize ring in a tug of war rope. That's Nadine. You know, she's being okay. On both sides. Okay. So there, there's kind of the purpose of Joe. Joe, he's on one side, kind of trying to pull her towards Mother Abigail, and then flags on the other. So okay. So that that actually kind of really helps out here. So right, let's take a break with Nadine. I do want to come back, Corey, and talk about the fact that the female characters in the show are given like no respect, period, and it's driving me insane. Uh, but let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll also talk about Nick. Uh, we'll rag more because that's what we do. Uh, we'll see you guys in a sec. So let's go, let's come back here and talk about Nick, the other main POV in this episode. So I like his character. I was a little frustrated that the major moment with his character here is in the conversation that he has, I think with mother Abigail, um, when he says, she's like, you're going to be my voice. And, uh, he says, lady, this world has never been interested in anything I have to offer. And I can't imagine that's changed now. Right. Uh, I really wish they, they, and I know, Matt, I already know what you're going to say, but like, I really wish that they showed me how difficult his like day-to-day life, like just his like daily experiences with life before giving me that line. Now, yes, he gets punched in the bar and there's that fight scene, but like, I wish they just did a little bit more for me to see just like, when he says that no one listens to him, this is what his life has been with no one listening to him. But like, isn't that it? Like, Imagine you walk into a bar, you accidentally bump into a guy, and he says, "Hey, what the hell, man?" You turn like, "Oh, my bad," or whatever. Let me get you a drink. Like he immediately gets the shit kicked out of him. I mean, like that's a pretty like rough introduction to like the type of life that this guy's had. And look, it, it sucks that like Flag has to pretty much just lay it all out there of like, you know, your mother was from here, and like you, you know, right. like she, and like you know, you're an orphan, like all that type of stuff. So I get like it's more definitely more tell don't show, but like they do kind of show pretty early on like what can happen when. Like, again, like a, a normal thing that, you know, for you, like you could bump into a guy and like not get the complete shit kicked out of you. 
just because like you know like that that's it's kind of the stuff that nick's had to go through right and I, I don't think again i think they they try to do this i also just sometimes think it's like the little slights in life that accumulate that bother you and i wish that they kind of did it a little bit but again Look, I understand that they're running into issues with with screen time. Like they just don't have if, if they're not going to have enough time to show all of these characters in this in this depth. That's fine, but Corey, what were you thinking? That's kind of where I came down with it. Like to your point, right? Like, are there? Do I am I in love with all the changes from the book? No, right, and including this. Um, however. Do I get the broad story arcs and beats? Does this character actually put in situations that reveal to me how hard he has it? And and again, given these opportunities to express that, he is. Where Stu isn't. Where Larry isn't. We get really cheap moments, but they don't really mm. show me who a character mm. is. And here, we get a little bit about St. Nick, right? Because again... right. This isn't just an ass kicking. He loses an eye over it. Yeah. And as 100%. accidental as anything else as that can be, right? Like we get this protracted thing where he goes to jail where and he get he befriends a sheriff and then the sheriff gets sick and the sheriff dies and he kind of has a thing with the wife and then he's alone in this town. So we kind of get the slow burn. <laughs> I love that you just yada yada. Nothing I've understood. Right. <laughs> no, no. And it's all from the book, right? Like the yeah. book kind right. of paces all of this out. But again, we get the the this basic heart of it right from him even taking care of the guy who's responsible for him losing an eye right and, and right. so I, I i guess maybe i'm just measuring it against one the other turds that we've been given and we're expected to say thank you for um and it's expectations this, man right yeah that this one was actually wasn't so ham-fistedly executed right and it's a shame too because they had a really good opportunity to really compare and contrast nick and nadine who were both orphans um Mm. Nick, Nick's in the book. Nick's mom dies when he's nine, doesn't have a father, um, and he becomes an or goes to an orphanage and lives there, just kind of like our opening scene with Nadine, right? It would interesting. be interesting to kind of compare that. Now, the big moment that he has later with Mother Abigail, that you are the blank page, that's directly from the book. You are this blank page, mm -hmm. but it's told to him by another person, basically someone he befriends at the orphanage, this guy Rudy, who basically like. Nick kind of shuts down after his mom died and he goes into this orphanage. Now, he was deaf from birth, but like he really just kind of shuts down from the world. Rudy's <laughs> the character that basically, that, you know, f tells him like, you are this blank page. This is you. And it completely opens up uh, Nick. And and he really, oh, really cool. Further from that. Would have been right. really interesting to compare and contrast, like use that scene to show here's Nick and Nadine. You know, Flag's coming to Nick, asking him to be his right-hand man. He's coming to Nadine, asking him to be his his dark bride or whatever. Right. Cool opportunity to do something. They chose not to do it. I do love, and I <laughs> this is this is kind of going off. The fact that Flag asks Nick, and Nick obviously gives him the finger and says no, but that implies that Lloyd's like kind of second fiddle and I, I really hope that there was like a moment where like Nick's like you know they asked me first it's just like a fuck you but I, yeah I don't know if that'll happen <laughs> there's no way Lloyd is anybody's first choice for anything you definitely know he got pretty far down his list of asking people to be a right hand man before he got to Lloyd <laughs> that's great <laughs> uh, yeah what else you guys have with Nick here the, the dream sequence really worked mm -hmm. for me this is okay. one that should have been like this should have been probably your one of your first episodes if not, again, you you reconfigure this one and it will work as a first or second hmm. episode um, because, again, you have uh, layers of symbolism. Some of the exposition is there. Don't get me wrong. Like, that's a problem. But again, we're not getting a perfect show, so I'm right. going to stop harping on it. Um, so, 
again, like you have like the symbolism in the cards that he puts down, right? Like you see one of the right. stones, you see again, like the, the king covering the eye, like uh, those moments really work. You understand the menace and what flag is offering. You get a little bit more of his personality. You understand what Nick brings to this. I mean, to me, this was a really big missed opportunity because again, Nick can be a really good heart for for the show he can be a really good audience surrogate or at least like a ted lasso like somebody to look up to right um Mm. somebody who's actually presenting a positive side inside of this terrible environment because again like you need a counter for flag you need you need to show the other side of it you need to create some empathy with us and i think again this character is doing things that we would all want to think we would do I would right. love to think I would take the rag and wipe the snot off the guy. And in all reality, most of us would probably turn our backs and just let him die. So, right. And then to, to kind of build on that. So, Stu, they told me he was good. I think they showed me a little bit more of the fact that Nick is good. Because Nick, again, it's hard to be good when you get kicked to the ground. Right. Like, and Stu's just like, was this, it seems just like a nice guy and he's just good because, and I know that and Stu has also gone through things, but we see the things that Nick has gone through. Yeah. Okay, like Stu is good. Like every man good. Nick is good. Like biblically good. Like, like right. there's another level right. of goodness in Nick and King loves to do this too. In his stories, he usually has like these um, small groups of people or even like larger communities of people. And like, he kind of chooses like this, this character will be the brains of the community. This character will hmm. be like, the history of the community. Hmm. Records that on Nick is the heart of this group. He's the heart of this community. Um, and I think that was pretty great. And then Corey, right back to that point, you're talking about the pilot. That was why I was so confused. Like, why do they choose Harold? This is it. Choose Nick. Nick is the guy to go to. Nick is the one who's tempted by the devil. He's the one that he in the book. It's more overt of, of a, a, a Jesus temptation, like the 40 days in the wilderness a flag song. This all could be yours. And Nick tells him, you know, basically to fuck off. Um, telling the devil to fuck off is a pretty cool scene. Right. Um, and then one more quick thing, like this is flag. When I kept telling you like that, that smiling hmm. underlying menace, but like that, that's the flag I get from the book. When, when the way Scarsgard played it in this episode, I was like, "That's it." He kind of nailed it. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say that's all really, really uh, spot on. You know, and again, it's, it's Nick is the counterpoint, right? He's the the Jesus uh, to Mother Abigail's Old Testament, right? Like he 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 is suffering. He has to deal with all of this kind of stuff, right? As where she is, uh, you know, the most like she's being tested by God, and and so is he. So like they have that instant kinship. So I like I like that element that's in here too, and and again, you know, it's just a, it's a missed opportunities are the the name of the game. Yeah, Corey, you know, Mother Abigail's Moses, and and Nick's our Jesus. So like that's it's again it's pretty overt, but like again, I think it works. It works. I really think you made a good point with re-editing this though. Like what? what I think if they re if they if they reorganize this show. And Nick was the start. And the first thing that happens is that scene with Flag, except you don't know he gives him the middle finger till the end of the episode. That's fucking cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish they did that. Like, like, g- give me a moment where like, I- I'm seeing Nick kind of like, maybe he's, he's not actually grappling with this at all. Maybe we in our head are grappling with it. By, by, that, by the end, it wasn't even a thought for him. It's a no hesitation, like, fuck you. That would have been really, really well done and, and cool. Like even they, they bar, bar that from loss. Those moments were like, they play like the sound of like the, the like the engine kind of pulling them back or like the wave sound and then it cuts like something like that would have kind of drawn me a little bit more because again Corey like you said the show hates suspense mm-hmm. it fucking hates suspense hates Mac oh 
Yeah, I think like a big part of this is like the, the book The Stand is divided into three sub books. The first book is basically all about the plague. The second book is about getting to to Boulder and and Mother Abigail Society. It seems like the show just doesn't didn't care about the plague. They just had to get through it. Hmm. Um, if you're gonna do that, just then do it quicker. Yada yada, and get our characters moving. Make it be the confrontation between Flag and Abigail. Uh, now, now that is a huge change from the book. But at least, like, you're not just kind of half-assing the whole first part that it doesn't seem like you're interested in. You're interested in the big battle between, like, this good and evil. Hmm. Yeah, you could have started with the plague if you wanted to. To me, again, like, the travel is the most interesting part. The plague is what get thing, what uh, what gets things moving, right? Narratively, right. it gives us the day in the life. Uh, starting before that, let's uh, see each of these characters in their everyday life. So then, again, we can move through this this good versus evil story, the story of temptation and battle. And, and again, that really works. But also, you're limited by time. So if you want to start with the plague, fine. There's It's possible. Have a news report. Have, you know, you can use a cheap narrative device if you really want to. Is it going to turn out as nicely? No, it's not. But, again, the, the result is the same when you yada yada. So... Right. Uh, an- another, uh, I guess, issue, or I'm curious to see what you guys think of of Tom Cullen here. So Tom gets introduced. Um, who's he played by? Matt, I- I've seen him before in, um, I know he's in Justified. I think he's, he's in he's Justified. He's from Justified. Yeah, that's, that's right. How, he's okay. one of the Bennett boys. That's how I know him. Okay. Um, what did you guys think of Tom? I mean, we can go into some of the more of like the Stephen King-isms about like the types of characters he chooses to include hmm. in his story. I I like Tom. I kind of like this portrayal of Tom. I I, I do. Uh, hmm. it, now there were some problems. I think of like you know possibly casting an actor who's not developmentally disabled like Tom is in the book um, to play this role. Um, I right. just kind of thought like Bradley Mickey did a really good job. I ended up thinking like really like that guy, you know. And I think that's kind of the vibe I was supposed to get from Tom. Yeah, Tom, I look uh, all credit to the actor Brad William Hankey, right? Um, I got his name right. Yeah. So uh, again. There's things I like about the character. I think the Dolly Parton t-shirt is amazing. I think him wearing the Oklahoma, hmm. like yeah. the Oklahoma vest on top of that, hmm. like he's a guy who likes what he likes and he's not afraid to express himself. And like, again, the, the character hmm. of Tom, you can kind of go into like, is it problematic? Uh, probably. Um, there, there are some representations here. Is this representation the most problematic um, with with his monologue about like, hey, I, you know, my name's Tom Cullman. I have a, a developmental disability. And like, again, going through all this, it's sweet. Right. It's endearing. But again, my, my problem lies with like it's 2020 in Hollywood and you could have cast somebody with a developmental disability to take this role. Um and again, no shade on the actor, no shade on anything else. But like, if we're if we're in a world where we're talking about representation and giving people opportunities, right? Um, the show's not walking that walk, and and I think it's going to take a, like a bigger conversation and push by Hollywood to do that. It's probably a different show than this one. But I mean, that's my thing about Nick Andros. Again, no fault to the actors here. Um, I think the roles are being executed as well as possible, um, hmm. but. At the same time, like you ask me, um, you missed an opportunity, right, to have a very important character in your book as as somebody who has a developmental disability, right? That you you missed an opportunity to celebrate that and have that mean more than just the narrative, and and that's sad. Do you want to talk about representation for a quick minute? I mean, I think they the show did a pretty good job, all things considered. I mean, the, the Stephen King book is it's just white people as far mm-hmm. as the eye can see. Yeah. It really is. There's Mother Abigail and everybody else. Interesting. At least it seems like it's white people. They they did try to change some of this. Larry, white character in the book. Uh, they made him play by he's played by a black actor in this one. Um, 
We have couple uh Ralph Brentner, who we kind of barely we've seen this this character who they they gender flip. It's now Ray Brentner, played by Irene Bedard, who's like the real life Pocahontas. I mean, they based the not based the TV show, but she's the actress that played the, the movie character. Um, and they based her, you know, her likeness off of this actress. Um hmm. oh, I mean Harris, who I think will Wait, make who, who's Ray? Ray Ray is the woman who has the gun who's kind of guard guarding uh Mother Abigail. Yeah, oh, okay, she's, okay. She's for, a couple seconds. I mean, she's a, a or it's a he in the book, but it's a bigger. It's a female character, so right. she's on the screen for thir- all of well, ten, yeah, all exactly. ten seconds, right? <laughs> and then Judge Harris is going to be played by uh, Gabrielle Rose, another uh, uh, yeah, male character who they're, who they're changing. And then Nick is you know a white guy in the book, and this one he's played by a Brazilian actor. So I think they're doing they're doing some stuff, but Corey's right. I mean, like they had an opportunity here to. Yeah, you know, to nail it, and and they did it. Like again, I like his portrayal, but it's you know, and some stuff is with right. side characters, right? Like it's it's not even with people who get screen time or speaking lines. Oh well, Larry though, I mean Larry and Nick, like they're again, I, again, they're not, you know, they're, they 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 attempted to change some of like I said, like the the complete lily whiteness of the book. Right? Yeah, I mean the thing is like what, what worries me is like the significance of it is dipping into tokenism as opposed to actually like doing anything with the story. Right, like, hmm. like, is Nick's heritage anything more than a line for for Flag to drop while he's trying to to get him to take the Devil's deal, right? Like, and again, so and and Larry's race has been nothing more than uh, an excuse to use a racial slur in the first episode on on television, right? Terrible, like, yeah. <laughs> so right. the the thing for me right. isn't so far. Like, again, change characters, do representation, make make TV look like the actual world that we live in. Right. Like that would be wonderful for me. Um, the part where it really gets me is like, yeah, you have those opportunities, but then, then they make some bizarre fucking choices with them like that right. or have them just be vapid and meaningless. And that that bugs me. I think look, I, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I, I, I'll be honest. The female characters just get no justice, man. They just don't. No. And it's 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 really frustrating. There are th- three major female characters, it seems like. And really, only one is fleshed out. Franny gets no time. Is, is she is she a main POV in the book? Oh yeah. Yep. Yes. We 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 know Harold through Franny. Like again, in, in the beginning, it was it's not Harold coming up with this brilliant plan and, and presenting it to Franny. Franny shows up at his house and was like, and Harold's a mess, and she's the one who kind of gets his shit together. It's like completely flipped in the in the TV show. It, wow. Again, it seems like Nick. What what's Franny's like defining characteristic for you on this TV show? uh pregnant yeah right that's it it's ridiculous now in in the book she's a way more fleshed out character the book has its own misogyny problems it really does and when it comes to nadine it dives deep into some of that type Mm -hmm. of stuff it's really Hmm. it's it's fucked up it really is um but again franny franny was the opportunity to to really explore a better female character flops in in the tv show they just replace all her stuff with harold and there are some other kind of like some cool uh female characters from the book who i think they completely cut um, I'm talking mostly about, again, these are for book readers only. You're not going to know if you haven't read the book, but Lucy, Sue, and Dana, they're yeah. nowhere to be found in the, in the, in the TV show. And, and they're, you know, they're pretty interesting, strong female characters who are just cut. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't <laughs> just know. Great. There's like no remedy in sight for this either. Right. Like, unless they're going to give like Franny a, 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 like a Fran centric episode, right? Like four, we're completely dropping the flashbacks and we're just like doing a full hmm. deep dive episode into one character, right? Like how sometimes game of Thrones or whatever would do, right? right. Like give, give a character like more than 50% of the screen time. Um, 
I don't see that happening here because again, there's still a lot of story to tell. Right. Okay. So I think, uh, look, we have a couple other things we're going to get to. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, do you guys have anything else on Nick? No, I mean, again, it's just, it's, it's, it's a promising start. It's, it's some promising information, uh, on a right. character who is, who's again, super, super important. All right, let's take a break. We'll come right back. We'll talk. We have a couple questions from some listeners, uh, that we're going to answer and some, a few other things. We'll be right back. All right, we're back, and I feel really bad. I didn't even, we, we didn't even talk about Glenn. Glenn's my favorite part of the episode. Oh, I feel terrible. And Kojak. Uh, what do you guys have on Glenn? Oh, I guess my first thing is like, oh, oh, it's that guy. I, li- I like that actor. What's his name? How do you feel? Greg Kinnear? Come on. No, no. I was super excited for Greg Kinnear. All caps. All caps in my note. Greg Kinnear? Love it. Giant fan. What's his, what's he been? I'm like, oh, I like that guy. I think he did a great job playing the part. But I'm like, oh, it's that guy. I what's mean, Greg Kinnear been in. I, I Little Miss Sunshine is one of the things I think of. Like, oh, he, he, he is pops in up Miss in Sunshine. there a lot. And again, that that's super super endearing. But I mean, just lots of little stupid stuff from way back in the day. Like, you've got mail. Come on, like just just 90s rom com, late 2000s rom coms and stuff. Greg Kinnear's a gem. Jim. Matt, I'm telling you, dude, Twitter was popping for Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear popped up. They're like, holy shit, it's Greg Kinnear. <laughs> it, it wasn't hashtag, oh, that guy. I like that guy. That should have been the hashtag. Because, like, again, no. the, 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 the fourth lead in You've Got Mail. And uh, I look, I like Little Miss Sunshine, but I saw that movie once, like, like uh, 10 years ago. Like, it's not going to be, like, the thing that sticks in my head is, like, oh, it's the, was the dad, I guess, from Little Miss Sunshine? Come on. He's he's very charming. He's I don't a want, very we, likable man. He's a very likable man. I guess he's, like, the... He's oh, no, he's not Paul he Rudd. Plays oh, Dick no, Vermeil in Invincible. How do you not like Greg Kinnear and call yourself a Philadelphian? Man's a treasure. <laughs> Man's a treasure. Uh, Matt's a Cowboys fan. Uh, so, uh, if we keep going here with Glenn, um, is he by far the best part of this episode? I, I'll, all I want to do is sit with Glenn and listen to him just philosophize. With Kojak sitting there wagging his tail, him just ripping a pipe or just just smoking and just talking shit out to the world as Steely Dan plays in the background. Yeah, then read the book because that is Glenn's entire purpose in the book is like he's that guy that just waxes poetic about society and humanity. He's, <laughs> he's an old sociology professor. I think I'm not exactly sure what they said his profession was in the book. I don't know if they said sociology professor. No, they the mentioned show. his wife as a okay. physics professor. But yeah, that's, that's it. it. He, he's just he's a professor, man. He loves to talk and Stu loves to not talk. So they're like a perfect like <laughs> odd couple of just like walking from, I guess, whatever, Maine to Boulder. And this dude just talks and. He's got some great lines. I mean, I think this here, here's here's an example of, of a quick Glenn line from the book. And then, then I'll, I'll throw it to you guys. But it kind of sums up like what he's thinking about and how he sounds. Okay, It's been suggested by colleagues even more fanciful than I that the Western man needs an occasional high colonic, a purging. And this occurs at the end of centuries so that he can face the new century clean and full of optimism. And in this case, we've been given a super enema. And when you think about it, that makes perfect sense. We are not, after all, simply approaching the centenary this time. We are approaching a whole new millennium. Now this goes on for pages and this is, Glenn. <laughs> this, this is what he does. He yep. just, and he's got, he's the guy with the theories. He's the guy with the ideas of how we're going to rebuild this thing. It's the purpose of Glenn. And he's a ton of fun on the show. 
So Star Trek Discovery does like weird little like mini webisode things where it's just like short little eight minute clips or something to kind of like flesh out characters. Just give me more of him doing that <laughs> shit because I'm 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 in. I think it's funny. Like him him talking with Stu. That to me was like you finally tried to ground human beings into this show, and I can just I can just see like. These are some of the shit that I, I, I wouldn't go that deep with it, but like, I, I like, I don't know. I just like this conversation. Anyone who comes out and says, can you imagine someone not liking a fucking potato chip? I, I'm in on this guy. It's fucking great. You know, he, he strikes that balance between just like small level likability with the potato chip thing. But then also talking about like, that's what you want to like society and all the crap it brings. Like, that's what you want to bring back. Like, what's the matter? Have you thought about this for 10 minutes? Like, what's wrong with you? Corey, were, were you watching this, nodding your head and just snapping along with them? Oh, yeah, I, look, again, like this is one of the time that we get characterization as exposed to exposition, right? Like we get right. the, a, a time yes. for characters to talk to each other, interact and, and express their views, uh, but also through situations. And, yes. and to me, that that's why this worked so well. And I was I was so afraid that we were only going to get Greg Kinnear for one episode because the way these big, like, uh, again, high B, low A level uh, cameos, right? The Heather Graham, the J.K. Simmons have been one episode cameos. So I was terrified, terrified. We we're only going to get one Kinnear. And it looks like we're going to be up to our eyeballs in Kinnear's. We're really going to compare Greg Kinnear to J.K. Simmons and Heather Graham? Again, Actually, no, Heather Graham, is, yes. Hashtag, oh, that guy. Heather Graham, Heather yes. Graham is in huge movies. J.K. Was, Simmons is in, in, was in huge, Oscar-nominated movies. Movie. Oh, actually, I guess Little Miss Sunshine was Oscar-nominated. But come on, do not put... When you were talking about, like, oh, you you, you won't ever believe, like, the, the celebrity guest appearance in this episode. I was like, the episode finished. I was like, <laughs> I have no idea. When you came out with Greg Kinnear, I was fell over. I was like, I cannot believe that's what you were so excited about. Again, love the character. Again, is the show getting better? How come dare on, you guys, talk like, about this, the, the lead actor of Strange But True that way? I don't even know oh what that God. is. I didn't even see that one. I mean, look, on the look on the list of J.K. No, it's, it's Cranston, J.K. Simmons, it's Heather Graham, and then it's far below, and then it's Greg Kinnear. Sorry, that's just the order. That's the order. That's fine. That's a fine order, but you know what? I'm happy. That, that, again, apparently, you guys think his quote's low enough that he's going to show up for multiple episodes, and that <laughs> makes me very happy. Good. Again, if he's if he's hanging with... I, I even mentioned on Twitter, I just want a scene of just... It'll just be Glenn, like, th throwing, like, cheese puffs to Kojak. Like, that. that's it. I just want, like, a minute of him just doing nothing, because you got to ground us, and this show finally grounded me in something that allowed me to just breathe with the characters. That was real. No, that was really good. Um... Yeah, like th th that's it. Th th they did it. The, the show did a good job finally of introducing a character, and it was pretty great. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like a little ep like like one-off webisode. You could just do him his random paintings. Like in the book, man, he's literally just chilling by a stream, painting with beer. Just again, like just cooling in, in the creeks that he goes by. It is he's great. Glenn's great in the book. Yeah, yeah, that is how. Yeah, that's how they meet. He comes across him on the road in Vermont, I think. In yeah, Vermont, it's up there. That's where Stu Stu gets out of that facility. One thing they've done a really bad job you know kind of placing us uh, is physically a horrible job how does anyone meet up with anyone when you don't explain to me where people are get scranton joe so there's that out of it you know he'll cut oh you. my god he'll cut you running down the road uh okay i have some listener questions all right so we got a few emails uh, a few uh messages here for, from twitter uh are you guys cool with taking some of these let's do, do it. it okay so 
Uh, this is from Lee. She asks, uh, why does Joe hate Harold so much? You know, obviously Harold is Harold, but are we supposed to infer that Joe has the shine? I think this is a really interesting question. Cause like, I know King sometimes will do this with stories where he'll, he'll bring in abilities and character and, and kind of build them into this mini like King universe. I don't know if you can even answer that. Matt, what do you got? I love this question because like, I think it's one of those things you're supposed to like really think about. Like again, hmm. he does love to interconnect this type of stuff. I mean, go see the dark tower series, but like, what's like one thing. It seems like all of these characters who survived have in common. They're all having these dreams, these prophetic dreams. I mean, right. is it possible that the only people who survived the, the flu are people with the shining? It's pretty interesting too. And again, like, oh, shit. the shinings need too. like, if you read the book, uh, they don't do a great job in the movie of showing it, but like in the book, like, the Overlook Hotel, they want Danny because Danny can really shine. Like he's got like there's levels of shining mm. power. Like some people got a little bit, some people have a lot. And Danny has a lot. And then if you read the sequel, Doctor Sleep, character Abra has a like, you know, Yoda amount of, of right. uh, shining ability. So there's different levels of it. I think in the in the show, like they're kind of sh- well, we'll see what they do. Now it does seem like Joe has some again some intuition about like there's something wrong with, wrong with Harold. And then like I don't know, he's kind of hiding on the bed from Nadine in this episode. Maybe there's something there. Hmm. And he's also quiet. Like, like Danny Torrance, like Danny's the, the kid, right? God, I'm, I'm blanking. Yeah, Danny, yeah. Right. Okay. So like Danny was known for like kind of being quiet too. Cause he's always in his head using like kind of communicating with people with the shining. So um, also I, she, she also made the point here. Lee does of like, he miraculously starts playing the guitar. I, that was kind of crazy. Like he just plays the guitar and not like a little bit. He memorized what he, uh, what Larry just played in front of him. That's, insane yeah (laughs) having tried to play the guitar before i'm terrible at it no i think they're trying to play off a little bit of like savant syndrome for him Hmm. right like the ability to to watch and mimic and mirror i think that's where you get like the again like the one throwaway line about you know him possibly having an autism spectrum disorder Hmm. uh or something like that um so again i I, you know these these little hints at it but i like i kind of like that explanation better than than what i've seen on the screen uh even if the question was contractually obligated Um, (laughs) i think that it's a good it it adds a good little element to it and i'd like to believe it um especially because he does he's the only one in boulder as far as i know that has that specific skill though hmm okay hmm. and there's a lot more to joe that i it will come up in the t- in the in the show right. so i don't want to spoil it okay okay uh lee has another question here um her question is who is fran's baby daddy i think they answered this but is do we learn more about the relationship between franny and and I forgot, is it, I think it's Jess. Is Jesse, Jess, Jess. Okay, Jesse. Do we learn more about that relationship in the book or is that even that kind of passing? I mean, I, because I read it, I, I can quick go like uh, talk about it. Um, yeah, I mean, like he's a character. They have a big conversation about, you know, she, this is somebody she's dating from college. Um, okay. She, she was on the pill, but she gets pregnant. Um, and like, it was just kind of like, you know, he wasn't like ready for fatherhood material. And she's like, I'm keeping the baby. And he, he was like very noble about like, yo, you know, mm. you get married and get married against the seventies. But she's like, no, I'm keeping, it. I'm going to do it by myself. And that was kind of it. You know, that that's like the, the full culmination of, of, of Jesse, you know, uh, the father of the baby. Hmm. That actually tells me a lot about Franny though. 
again, there's a because th she has more character in the book because she barely shows up because that's yeah. what we do with women characters in the show. Uh, and again, that's easy. It's an easy thing for the book to happen internally too, right? Like that's it's like a, a totally internal scene and everything else for her to do, to have that. And like maybe they'll try to build that into a conversation with Stu, but with the way they've been hmm. treating our female characters, I highly doubt it. Yeah. So I feel also really dumb because I assumed after the first episode that like Stu and, and her were together. Is that not a thing? Did I totally, did they just misrepresent that scene on purpose as like a, like a, def, uh, to like deflect the, uh, like the Harold's like to, just to bring, I guess, a, like Harold conflict. Am I just totally wrong in reading into that? They forgot they had a television show to, to write and produce and they needed to, because, because remember, suspense is your friend. Suspense your friend. Actually, here, here's another great question from a listener uh, that kind of brings that up. Well, Corey, what you just said. So this is from Lynn. Um, uh, she writes, Matt, last week you said that Larry had a recurring line in his head from his mom, something along the lines of you're a taker. Do other characters have running like monologues or messages in their heads that they keep repeating? Thanks. Okay. Yeah. That's an awesome question. Um, now Larry's is like the most overt and obvious, but a couple other characters do have this. So, one of them, um, Nadine, what constantly runs through her head is, there's this quote, um, in a world where so many have died, the one great sin is to take a human life. Now, she re replays this in her head multiple times. Hmm. Um, and again, which is kind of compelling to like about Nadine, like you know, flag, flag big bad guy. And she is like killing somebody's unforgivable sin. Um, it, it runs through her, again, like multiple chapters. Hmm. Um, another character, Nick, Nick does have a couple of you are this blank page. Um, which I okay. They, so they did they, that. They tried to show in the TV show. Um, in the book, it's it, it's mentioned a couple of times. Right. Um. What another character we have? Maya, it's tr the trash can man. I know he's gonna come up. He's got some great ones. Um. Oh, yeah. And he like well, they're they're stupid because the trash can man is he's a trash can man. I can't wait. Um. But he he, he constantly. I, I love that has... you say this. Like I have any idea what that <laughs> yes. means. Just, just picture yes. Devito from um. It's always sunny. It's always sunny. He's, he's a trash can man. Yeah. Exactly. Um. He, he, he he's constantly has these ruminations about being bullied in the past. And there's a couple of key lines. I think they're going to do them in the show. So I'm just mm -hmm. not going to mention them right now. Um, okay. And I guess one more might be Fran kind of has, um, she does keep a journal about like she, uh, things to remember journal. Like she's very, hmm. very focused on her child or her unborn, unborn child. And she wants to write down everything that was like kind of good about the world. I want you to remember like, you know, pinball machines and like what it was like, you know, going to like the, a, a baseball game like whatever opening right. day like that type of that that type of stuff the fourth of july she wants wants to remember so she has like a journal she constantly writes down about like things she wants to remember but the one that really um like works with the character i think is 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 nadine and larry about like okay it really represents their internal conflict okay i think that yeah i i i felt like i thought that was a great question because i after you explained the year taker piece i think that kind of worked uh I have one more question. Actually, two more questions we have time for. Uh, from Barry here, really simply, why Vegas? Why not? Because, uh, no, I, I, like, uh, I, I can't think about this, and the only thing that I can come up with is Sin City, right? Is Las Vegas is Sin City, so it has to be... It has to be that. Like, I don't think any further thought was given to it uh, other than like, oh, yeah, of course. Oh, we'll put Randall Flagg in Sin City. Sin uh, City, that's it. That was it. I, look, it kind of works, right? Sin there. I, I, I was thinking I, the exact same thing. I was thinking it's Sin City. Yeah. Um, okay. I, here's, I got one for you, Nick. Ready? Uh, what's, what's this from? Ready? And what, what do you think this describes? 
It is a barren wasteland riddled with fire and ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. (laughs) Hard Boromir vibes. Exactly. It's Mordor, right? They're describing Mordor. Okay. Try and describe Vegas. It's a barren wasteland riddled with ash and dust. The very air you breathe is a poison. Well, maybe not poison, but it's hot out there. I don't know. Um, And I guess you can't really. It's pretty cool. You can't question flag. Like, why do we pick the one place where like accessing water might be a little difficult to flag just crucified? <laughs> There's also a deeper answer to this that I can't give you because there's a deeper thing here that uh, that again, I think will be revealed with time another another benefit to it. But I think that's okay. that's the big appeal, right? Is is it sex, it is vice, it is all that is wrong, right? And especially like the book comes out in the seventies, right? Like it, right, it, right. Take a look at it that way, layer that into it, and I think you have a lot of like really classical interpretations and symbols being used, and that's one. But if he just said Miami, I would have been like, that makes sense. I'm going to Miami. It's beautiful. It's warm. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Miami's Miami. I mean, if you're going to build right, a right. door in, in, on, you know, in the United States of America, you're going to build you know, more door. Where are you going to put it? I mean, the middle of the freaking desert in Vegas is a pretty good spot to pick. So I guess I think it would, it would be really it would it would just make more sense for like flags be like look we're gonna go to Miami people are like oh I'm absolutely gonna go there oh of course and then you kind of get sucked into the fact that this guy's the devil you're like oh shit that's why I mean a better question might be why Boulder Colorado <laughs> yeah really why especially so wait, is, in the book it's wait, Nebraska pause pause wait no and it's Nebraska is where Hemingford home is where uh, okay. Mother Abigail lives so first they go to nebraska but then she tells them they all have to go to boulder from there right so like the the journey almost happens in two parts where first like a, okay. at least a select few go to hemingford home and then boulder becomes like the big beacon after that but like okay wait first question have either of you been to boulder no no so now your answer makes total sense. You go to Boulder and you will go from, why, why am I going to go to Colorado? It's cold and everything else. Go to Boulder, spend two days, and you will come back being like, that is where I want to apocalypse is in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> I think it's pretty fabulous. Is it, isn't snow an issue? Like, I mean, I assume the weather's going to be an issue in, in Boulder, you're hyping like in the Rockies, right? I, so you're you're protected by the Flatirons. It's right in the foothills okay. of the, they're called the Flatirons, and they start the Continental Divide like to the Rocky Mountains and everything else. So it's almost in this protected little shell and you have access to stuff though don't forget it's where the plains end at denver and then that kind of like pushes all the way up to boulder so fun geography lesson for an audio podcast (laughs) fuck but it makes sense it's like in this protected little mountain thing uh there's again uh, you can see everybody coming you're close enough to kansas you can actually grow stuff there's plains there's mountains Uh, i'm for it sign me the fuck up you send me to boulder helms deep Getting some Helm's Deep vibes, you know, yeah, you're just you in the mountains or whatever, mm-hmm. it's protective. Okay, but I mean, but it is like like 2,000 miles closer to Flag. I mean, they could have just stayed in Maine or, or I guess just moved south along the coast. I mean, you're oh, putting yourself pretty close up. to this guy. Oh, that was that monumental mistake. But, you know, Mother Abigail, didn't, she didn't ask. All right, she didn't ask for your damn questions. She tells you where you're going. She tells you what we're doing. And she just dictates. That's it. We're going yeah, here. That's it. Um, all right, last question here, and we'll just take one. So this is from uh, Sleepy Hollow Addict. Uh, will, will CBS make any more of Stephen King's stories into series like The Stand? Ah, I fucking hope not. So I get like I kind of spoke to this a little bit um, earlier that uh, this started off at Warner Brothers, and it started off as a movie, and it's had multiple people attached to it and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're even supposed to make a revival, another one of Stephen King's recent novels, into a movie, and Josh Boone, who, is, uh, who produced this, was uh, also attached to that. 
lost it. Uh, it went to somebody else. They lost it. So it's uh, it's a hot mess. And as far as I know, CBS doesn't have any more of the rights. Yeah, they did Under the Dome. So I, I kind of oh, get where that gets this question's too. coming from. People hate that show. Yeah, people uh, people really do hate that show. I, I didn't... I didn't watch it, so I can't make it. I can't like, criticize it, but just from people on Twitter, man. <laughs> um, I think that's it for this week. I think uh, uh, next week we'll come back. We'll have another episode. I know that. Uh, quick little side thing. I'm guessing Cat McNamara makes her entrance into this. The only the only reason I know this is because there's some really passionate Cat McNamara fan pages that like when you search trending for the stand, it's just like her picture, like almost like a, like an online collage of just like things she's in. So I guess we're going to go to flag next episode. Uh, so it's not just Greg Kinnear's face everywhere when you Google the stand. I mean, no, it's super not world famous actor. Greg <laughs> Kinnear. One, I have no idea who Cat McNamara is and I'm not being facetious. <laughs> I could not tell you right now. If you showed me four pictures, I would have no idea. And two, after this week, Greg Kinnear is my meet the clumps pick for the stand. All right. You could recast every single character as Greg Kinnear and I'd watch it. Look, he's nailing it. I'm not criticizing the actor. I'm just saying like, I, come on, it's. Gregory Kinnear. <laughs> Never have you been more wrong. Um, guys, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll break down the episode. Again, we are on Twitter. Uh, uh, please send us some messages if you have some questions that you guys want us to answer. Uh, we are up on Apple Podcasts. We are up on Spotify. Tell your friends. Give us a like, a review, a download, uh, and we'll see you guys next week. shout out a few people some of our listeners and our followers here on twitter uh who've either pointed us in the right direction given us some positive feedback uh the first person i want to th uh, thank and also to plug here is at k underscore and underscore rights uh she's Catherine ann she has her own uh blog talking about different stephen king works and giving her uh just like reviews her critical analysis on on books and shows and uh, and movie adaptations as well. Take a look at her page. Um, you can find her if you if you can't type in that Twitter handle. If you search through um, the broadcasters here uh, Twitter page, you can find her link as well. Uh, quick shout out to uh, Katya as well, who asked we, we asked her to take a look at the show and she said only if we plugged her books. So if you actually go to her Twitter page at the Haunt Vault, uh, you can find her blog as well, where she's been uh, writing some horror stuff here too and shout out to a few other people here we had heather we had linda uh we had kim we had tobias all of you guys thank you for the the shout outs there and the the follows and the likes on twitter um again if you want to find links for those individuals to check out our twitter page at underscore broadcasters that's at underscore broadcasters and we'll see you guys here next week